1: Greg Pickle, it's draft time.
0: It Woo is draft buddy. time.
1: I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. One of my favorite things in the world is player evaluation. And we are going to the player evaluation mecca, which is the NFL draft. Uh, in Kansas City this year, how, how do you feel about the, the roving band of draft going everywhere? Going Cleveland, going Nashville, going <laughs> Vegas, and and this year it's in Kansas City. How do you feel about that?
0: Well, I think it excites people in those particular towns, T Frank. So when they first started doing that, I wasn't sure about it, but it's just kind of gotten bigger and better and more of a spectacle with each passing year. And so, hey, I think the NFL is a brilliant business model. They clearly know how to sell their product, keep their product in the news, and get people to pay to both consume their product at home or at a restaurant or in person. And so I would assume that their numbers tell them that the move the more they move this thing, the better off they're gonna be from a revenue generation standpoint. And so Uh, Whether I like it or not, I do like it. I think it's kind of cool. You see different people every year. And, you know, obviously when it was in New York, it was a a tradition. And those are great. But to take it to places where people have never seen it before, and obviously you're taking it to some feverish football hotbeds for the most part, uh, I think it's exciting. And I'm sure the Kansas City crowd will be revved up and ready to go as well.
1: So that's what we're talking about for the big portion of the show today. Greg put out a fun article at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com earlier today where he predicted every single draft pick where every single Nittany line that's going to be drafted. He's got them going to a specific spot in the exact round and pick. He's going to be a hundred percent right. And we're going to go through that. It will not
0: be, but it'd be nice (laughs) if it was. Yes.
1: (laughs) We're also going to take your questions as we always do at the end of the show with the mailbag. So if you have a question you want to throw in the chat, um, please do. Xander is here as always uh, with his Nittany Lion uh, emojis. Give us your thoughts. Give us your questions. We'll get to those at the end of the show. And as we go through, we'll have a conversation with you about what we're talking about. We're going to be because Greg's here. We always discuss wrestling when Greg is here. There's been a lot of news for that. And of course, um, we have to get to the, the latest thing. And we'll start right now heading into the transfer portal. That's what our first segment's going to be on. Storm Duck goes into the transfer portal. We haven't talked about this yet since it happened. I believe it was last Friday that Blue yep. White Illustrated broke the news. Um, your initial thoughts on storm duck being here for one semester.
0: Yeah. uh, What do you think? Certainly not what any of us expected to you, Frank. I think that's safe to say, but look, I mean, guys go into the portal for a reason. It's because they're looking for more playing time at a bigger school. Maybe it's NIL related. Maybe it's not, but often it's related to what is the biggest stage I can play on number one. And then number two, how much on that stage am I going to get to play? And I think Storm Duck leaving, and look, he was widely praised within this program for the time he got to Penn State until um, now when he's leaving. And then something tells me that, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong on this, but Penn State might have still some nice things to say, even though I'm sure it wanted him a part of its uh, room this year in 2023. But, you know, I think it says a lot about where Penn State's cornerback depth is. If he didn't feel like he was going to play enough here, what does that tell you about Kalen King, about Johnny Dixon, about Cam Miller and Daquan Hardy, and even maybe some of the freshmen who have come on? and Elliot Washington, Zion, Tracy. You've heard Sean and Ryan talk about them a good bit, and Nate as well, of course. So, you know, I think it says a lot about this room. Penn State fans should feel very good about this cornerback's room, even though it's down an all-8 ACC second-team pick, um, who many people were excited about when he got here. But to me, uh, you know, if he feels like he wasn't going to play enough then he's going to have to go find somewhere else, I'm just not sure what stage he's going to get to play on compared to the one he uh, came to in the first place, which was a top-10 school, obviously, in most every uh, projection it's out their statistical models, media yeah. picks or otherwise. So, uh, you know, I think it says a lot of, again, I, being a little bit repetitive here, but I don't really know what else the takeaway should be. I think that it yeah. says so much about the strength of this room that he felt like he was in a place coming out of spring where he was going to get the snaps that he wanted.
1: I, I just I'll I'll take a different angle. I think this is a mistake for Storm. I, I, I don't know. You know, we weren't there for every single practice. I don't know how the rep count was going. But at the same time, If you want to play, they play three corners. They're they're, they're not ambiguous about that. And maybe it's not uh, Kalen King and and Johnny Dixon like last year where they're rotating who the starter is, but they absolutely want that third corner to be a part of the conversation. And as we saw last year, injuries absolutely happen. So maybe it was a a bit tough for a guy who's been like a three-year starter to swallow that he wouldn't be the starter. But that's what he signed on for. That's the room he came
0: into, right? There was no secret about that. You talk about no ambiguity. There was no ambiguity about what he was coming into, that Penn State had a preseason All-American coming back, and a guy in Johnny Dixon that they feel very good about. So, you know, to me, I just think that, obviously he was a guy who played a ton in North Carolina. And to your point, he would have played a good bit here, but if he didn't feel like he was going to play enough, I guess I get moving on. But, you know, at some point you got to pick your, your spot and go with it, or you're not going to have anywhere to play in the fall. So, you know, to miss spring practice elsewhere, obviously is another uh, challenge we'll have to overcome when he moves on to the new school as well.
1: That's to me. And that, that's kind of the calculation here is it's a big gamble. He's got to find a place where he fits, um, that will accentuate what he's good at and uh, that he can start and will be on a large enough platform that he can get to the league. That's what this whole thing has been about, right, is this last season, how does he put his, enough tape out there and prove that he is a draftable cornerback? And everyone wants to be uh, in the top 64 picks, right? So everyone wants to go and play well and be a second or first-round pick and then and go to the NFL that way. And when your back's up against the wall here, I... I I'm concerned like this is not me trying to say that he's like you know there's no no gloating here like I'm concerned for Storm Duck I never met him but a guy in this situation who obviously is good at football obviously wants to go to the next level this is a pickle for him so hopefully he finds a good situation and he does get what he's looking for but I think as far as positions where he could have had an opportunity to shine Penn State's uh, their system press man coverage like If you can hang in it, you can make a lot of plays. You saw what all these corners did last year. So uh, from Penn State's perspective, are you concerned about the depth? I know you wrote about this at BlueWadeIllustrated.com. We both kind of wrote about this in our own ways. So are you concerned now that Penn State only has two proven corners and then a lot of young depth behind them?
0: No, I'm not, because Cam Miller is a young guy who obviously didn't play as much last year as some of his teammates did. But when you talk about spring and summer breakout picks, T. Frank, he's almost at the you know, top of the list, if not one of the clear cut guys in my mind. I think he has so much talent. They have talked so highly about him since he got here. The fact he was able to burn his red shirt last year, I think speaks volume. I mean, look, it, it did, do you feel great when a guy like Storm Duck leaves? No. And the reason for that is very simple. Why did they bring him here in the first place? They wanted another veteran corner. What do they now have? Uh, not another veteran corner. So, you know, I think you have to keep that in mind as well is that when Penn State's out looking to fill needs, uh, obviously it thinks that it has a Situation that it needs to grab a hold of and, and try and fix. And I think it did that initially with corner and storm duck in terms of getting another veteran guy in there. But am I worried about the depth? No. And I think the other thing I would say along those lines is that we've heard good things this year, T. Frank, about the situation at corner when it comes to the freshman, the January enrollees. Uh, Elliot Washington's received praise. If you're watching on YouTube, you're looking at that right now. Lamont Payne's in that room, of course. Uh, and Zion Tracy as well. So, you know, those guys are going to have to add some weight. But Terry Smith said, uh, speaking specifically about Tracy and Washington on uh, after one of Penn State's spring practiced it, those guys are going to make the travel squad, and it would just be a matter of how much they would play, be it on special teams, can they save four games, do injuries cause something, etc. I think that's probably out the window right now for one of them, mm-hmm. unless they're going to uh, divert from what they've done uh, since really Terry Smith has been here through Brent Pry and now with Manny Diaz, and that's rotate a lot. The corner. So, if one of those yep. guys is game ready, uh, you can start writing the which Penn State players burned their redshirt stories that we'll write off all fall along now. Yeah, um, because one of those guys is certainly going to be a part of the rotation if they're ready. Uh, You know, could Penn State find a corner in the portal at this juncture and bring somebody else in? Maybe, I guess we'll see. Uh, Keep in mind that that portal window closes soon, but graduate transfers can go into it anytime. Uh, There are still teams that have not finished spring yet. There are a bunch of spring games this weekend, not a ton, but enough that you're going to get another blast of portal entries Sunday and Monday. So uh, there certainly is time for Penn State to attack things at numerous positions. Uh, Whether they want to do that at cornerback, we'll have to wait and see. But, you know, obviously, again, I think that, you know, I, am I worried about the depth? No, but I think it is a caveat must be mentioned that they brought him here for a reason, yeah. uh, and that was to fill a specific role that he'll no longer be filling.
1: I, I do actually have a concern about the depth because injuries we've seen each year over the last right. couple of years, injuries have hit the cornerback position. They've they've hit every position. So you have two of the better starters in the Big Ten. You know, we're we're gonna get to some stuff about Kalen King a little bit later in the show, but. You can't get better than Kalen King coming back, like in America. He's one of the best returning corners in America. You're still not starting from a bad position. But if we're talking about this team in terms of um, making a run at a Big Ten championship and beyond, you know, obviously all the other caveats that we don't have to talk about, but the one we'll focus on here is reliable depth. You know, good teams, they have answers at every position and they have reliable depth for things that happen. Cam Miller is young. He's going to make some mistakes. He's going to, um, you know, even if he is very good, Kalen King made mistakes early in his career, physically or mentally. That's going to happen. Without that buffer of Storm Duck on the roster, you have King, uh, Dixon, and now Miller's elevated into that third cornerback role pretty clearly. Zion Tracy did not. We did not see him participate a lot in uh, the spring, if at all. Elliot Washington, a true freshman. Lamont Payne, a true freshman. And then it's a bunch of guys that are run-ons. The one caveat here, I'd say, is Daquan Hardy. You have a veteran player who has been basically just a, a slot corner over the last couple of years, especially with Manny Diaz. But they have tried in, they have played him on the outside. So can he provide you some of that veteran depth on the outside? Does this open the door for him to do a little bit more? That, I think, is the is the one area I'd say that is a a saving grace in terms of depth that they have three guys that I think look really good. And, and you know, just as a side note, I thought Daquan Hardy, the limited role we saw looked really good in the spring. He finally looked confident again in Manny Diaz's as a defense. So I do think it's an issue and, and I don't think they're going to be able to solve it because you know, it's not free agency. Like we've talked about because it's not, uh it's not, you can't just go and get a guy like Storm Duck to come in and play and be a reserve player on the roster because they want to go start. Like that's the difference between here in the NFL is like being a backup. It's fine in the NFL. Xander says Storm leaving is great for the young corners. Um, that is one area where I will say. Do, do you think the development, say by game four, this is kind of on the back burner? Uh, that the young, the the youthful part of this is they'll they'll kind of progress pretty quickly because they are forced into the role. Do you think that's a fair way to look at it too?
0: Yeah, so what does Terry Smith always say T Franklin? And I apologize, I'm not paying, uh, I'm not looking at the camera for watching. I'm trying to find a quote here from Terry Smith to make sure I didn't misquote him a second ago, but I'll do that here in a second. But, you know, what does James Franklin always say? And it's very simple. It's that... When you are at a point, whether it's uh, week four, week six, week eight, what have you, when Penn State thinks you're ready to play, and hopefully my barking dog's not coming through, but when Penn State thinks you're ready to play uh, and you get those first few games under your belt, you're no longer a freshman. So, you know, that is a step that these guys are going to have to make. And like I said a few moments ago, there are guys on this roster that are going to have an expanded role at cornerback. There's just no two ways around it this year. Penn State's going to need those guys uh, to be ready to go, and that's something that – Again, they're going to have to train for under Terry Smith, under Manny Diaz, and, and try and get ready to go uh, as fast as they can. I do want to correct that because I said Zion Tracy on the travel squad. But you're right. It's uh, Elliot Washington and Lamont Payne. So let me just re-fix uh, that mistake I made a few moments ago. But, yeah, those two guys – Uh, If Penn State brings you in, they think you're a player, and that's obvious. And the further you are away from the ball, the more likely you are to get on the field sooner. We have seen that. Cam Miller is living proof of that last season. So at least one of those guys are going to have to be ready to fill that role. And is it a non-conversation by game four? We'll just have to wait and see. You talk about young guy mistakes. Uh, You also talk about how many reps does Penn State want to play Kalen King and Johnny Dixon. Do they play them more uh, snaps than they usually do their top two corners? That's another conversation they're going to have to have. And I think you make a great point with Daquan hardy you know he's a guy that i thought had a very up and down year last year but uh to your point uh, he did look more confident in the spring they're going to need him to be they're going to need him to play like a veteran guy and then the other thing i would say i don't think this comes into play but when you talk about injuries one of the things we always talk about along the offensive line is versatility can you play yep. guard can you play tackle can you play left can you play right Let's not forget Penn State's moved some cornerbacks to safety. Now, there's a reason for that. They think they're better safeties, and also they needed numbers in that room. But you, just, it's not like you have a bunch of guys playing safety who have never played cornerback before. Is it an adjustment? Yeah, yeah, no question about it. Uh, you also have Christian Driver, who I don't think Penn State's going to revert him back to the defensive side of the ball. He made pretty clear he wants to play offense. They made pretty clear that was their stance. But if you got into an absolute horrible pinch, uh, it's not like this guy didn't suit up in the Rose Bowl. So I think that that's something to keep in mind, too. You have some options here to move guys around. I'm not sure it's moves they would want to make, but let's be honest. What injury, what what reactionary moves to injuries does any college football team want to make? Clearly, yeah. they have a set plan for a reason positionally, but uh, you know, I think that's important to keep in mind as well. There are some options in other positions on the roster. Should the injury bug bite bad or should you get – some kind of crazy situation with targeting or ejections or things like that. Uh,
1: Like this video if you're watching right now, subscribe to Blue White Illustrated here on YouTube. And of course, if you don't mind, subscribe to uh, bluewhiteillustrated.com and here on the YouTube channel. Uh, we got to get to the next thing, and that is the transfer portal. But for it, it we only assume the transfer portal exists for basketball and football sometimes. But it is very big in every other sport, and wrestling has been reaping the benefits of that. So Penn State wrestling national champions reloading. Uh, Greg, take us through what's been going on in the portal with the Nittany Lions.
0: Yeah, so Penn State's three-for-three now, T. Frank, this offseason on its top portal targets. Let's just take them in order. Uh, The first uh, wrestler they picked up in the transfer portal is a three-time All-American, Bernie Truex, uh, the fifth is his name. Uh, He was a three-time All-American at three different weight classes at Cal Poly. He comes to Penn State now uh, with a chance to compete for a job at 184 or 197. The question there, and I'm sure some of you are wondering, is, hey, wait a second, doesn't Penn State have the defending national champion and the multi-time national champ in Aaron Brooks at 184? And the answer to that question is yes. And the other caveat to that answer is that he might want to wrestle 197 pounds this year and not cut as much weight or possibly not cut any weight at all uh, and replace Max Dean, the uh, uh, All-American uh, from a year ago for Penn State. So, you know, I think that we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But that gives Penn State's option, uh, Penn State options there. Brooks could also take an Olympic red shirt. Not sure I see that in his future, but it's something we uh, should keep in mind. Uh, and then when you look at the next edition they brought in, it was last Friday. Mitchell Messenbrink, he only wrestled two matches at Cal Baptist. He is a or going into his second collegiate season, but it was a red shirt. So he'll have plenty of eligibility remaining. And, you know, he was pretty clear. He talked on the WI Wrestle podcast about the fact that he's coming in to compete at 157 or 165. Yes, Penn State does have the runner up and an All-American at 157 and Levi Hames going into his second year of collegiate wrestling. But we've talked about it on the show before. Kelsey Anderson has hinted that maybe he's not 157 long term. So maybe he goes to 165. Maybe Messenbrink goes to 157. What does that mean for returning starter Alex Facundo? We'll see. One of those three guys could take an Olympic red shirt as well. So Penn State has some decisions to make on that front too. And then finally, uh, just last night on April 25th, uh, Penn State picked up its third transfer portal commitment in the wrestling realm uh, from Aaron Nagao uh, to going into his third year of wrestling uh, from the University of Minnesota. He wrestled back for uh, the fifth and he was an All-American uh, so far in his collegiate career. So he's going to fill the 133 pound spot vacated by Roman Bravo Young. So, you know, it's funny. We talk in football a lot about Penn State not getting always the guys at once in the transfer portal in football or in recruiting in football or basketball or what have you. And wrestling's is complete opposite. They don't get every single guy that they want, T. Frank, but pretty close. the hit rate is pretty darn close to 100%. Yeah, so yeah. a good offseason so far for Penn State wrestling as it tries to plug some lineup holes and build depth for the future. And, of course, uh, try and defend that national championship it won uh, back in March.
1: Yeah, this is, I think, the, uh, the fear that a lot of people had. Football is so like diverse in the terms in the number of schools, the number of reasons players go. But if like if you want to go to the if you want to win as a wrestler, there's one place to go. There's there's really one place to go. And uh, and Penn State has reaped the benefits of the transfer portal recently. This year it seems like in, in a big way. So check out all of Greg's wrestling content bluewhiteillustrated.com. Sign up now, get access until the start of spring football for 29.99. I'm sorry, fall football you know, till September for twenty nine ninety nine, or just go whole hog and sign up for the full year. Either way, it's a great deal because you're getting all kinds of insider information, and uh, we want to make sure that you stay in the know. Today's show is powered by Rogue Shop. As always, our live show, our, our football live show, powered by Rogue Shop, and if you don't know what RogueShop.com uh, is, Rogue Shop is Shar uh, and Mr. Rogue, who are Richard, our craft cannabis farmers specializing in small-batch sustainable plant medicine. And if you haven't yet, check out rogueshop.com. They do a great job of explaining all of these things to you, because as this becomes legalized, people who have never, ever, ever, ever done anything with THC, cannabis, or CBD, maybe you've been curious your whole life. Maybe you uh, aren't here for the recreational benefits, but for some of the real-life tangible benefits. Use promo code BWI for 10% off at rogueshop.com. I can tell you, I've used their products before. Um, I don't sleep very well. I struggle to, like, fall asleep and stay asleep. This stuff, when you, when you take it properly, can help you sleep. It can help you with pain. It can help you with inflammation. All of the things that get in the way of you living a happy life and not thinking about your body, just being, check it out. Rogueshop.com, then if you wanna have the, uh, you know, uh, extra dimensional benefits of it as well, the, all of that stuff that does, you know, it is it is cannabis, it can help you with that as well. We don't normally, I don't normally talk about the mind expanding benefits of, of Rogueshop, but also it does that as well, Rogueshop.com, uh, check it out, 10% off and use promo code BWI. Once again, like the video, share it with your friends, we're talking about the NFL Draft today, and that's where we're going next, Greg. We're going to your breakdown of the Nittany Lions going into the NFL. We're going to start off with number one pick for the Nittany Lions. They're actually going to get a first-round defensive back for the first time ever, ever in the history of Penn State or the NFL going in the first round of the draft. Tell us where Joey Porter Jr. is going in your mock draft.
0: Yeah. So I would say the one thing that's it's interested me is that he has fallen down some big boards over the last week, a couple of days. But I have him going, go ahead, T Frank, you can roll the graphic. I have him at number 20 to the Seahawks. And one of the things that's interesting, there's a great website out there. It's called uh, mockdraftconsensus.com. And one of the interesting things, or I'm sorry, NFL mockdraftdatabase.com, but it has a consensus, um, you know, mock draft roundup of all kinds of uh, seven round mock drafts from across the uh, internet. And you know, the consensus pick for him, T. Frank, is the, red, the Washington Commanders, rather, a few picks earlier than the Seahawks. But I've seen him, you know, the L.A. Times, Sam Farmer, who's covered the NFL forever, has Porter Jr. going in the top 10 via uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders, who he thinks are going to trade back uh, out of the pick they currently have. So, you know, is that an option or a possibility? Maybe. Uh, I've seen him as low as the late, you know, like the Bengals towards the end yeah. of the, the first round. So it's really interesting to me because this is starting to get – a Micah Parsons feel to it a little bit where I think a lot of people two or three weeks before the draft had a really what they thought uh, was a strong read on where he was going to end up. And, you know, I don't really remember back to it all that much. I could look it up, but I'm not sure too many had him pegged to Dallas. I think people had him maybe in that pick range, but I'm not sure if you would have stopped time back before the draft started. Dallas was a spot that a lot of people thought he was going to go to, even though they had shown some interest in him. So, uh, you know, Porter Jr.'s kind of in that same boat now. Where I think maybe a week or two ago, you know, Washington was a team that came up a lot. The Steelers have come up a lot, of course, because of his dad's tie to them. Baltimore's come up a lot. I had Jacksonville down for him originally. I think they could use a corner, but I don't think he's going to last that long. However, if he does, it wouldn't surprise me. It's also not going to shock me if he goes long before the Seahawks take this pick. One team to watch is Detroit. They have two first-round yep. picks as we sit here on April 26th, uh, and they could move out of both of those picks. They could package one and move up and move these six. I think it's the number six overall pick, move up. Yep. Um, and so keep an eye on them, though. They need some things. Quarterback is one of them, and he's a team they've been. Uh, so he's that's a team he's been associated with as well. So I'm going to go with Seattle, but I kind of just rattled off a few teams that I think could end up taking him. Um, yeah. There's probably a few more, too. Baltimore, I, want- I think, has come up as well.
1: I want to throw in New England as well because I think that uh, he's a really great fit for what they like to do traditionally with lockdown corners and using a true number one cornerback to kind of take a guy out of the game. And and Joey has the physical skills and the positional skills to do that with his gigantic reach and his, his good coverage skills. And he's faster and has a better recovery speed than I think people thought initially. And that's why the NFL draft and the testing numbers are all important. To me, this pick comes down to who's cornerback two in this draft devin witherspoon out of illinois is the number one guy i think by consensus across a lot of different big boards and things like that and then it becomes preference do you like christian gonzalez or do you like joey porter jr joey doesn't have a lot of interceptions on his resume that would be the one thing i think that if you're comparing those two guys gonzalez doesn't have a ton of production either but physically he's a more complete player Joey slightly slower his testing numbers he didn't do any of the change of direction skill uh, drills I don't think which is one of those things where when you don't have that information you can kind of assume it's not excellent so are you banking on the upside of Christian Gonzalez or are you banking on the physical domination skills of Joey Porter jr. Uh, So to me, that's going to determine which one of those guys goes in the teens and which one goes in the late teens. But I agree with you uh, that this is a realistic scenario because everyone always bets on upside. When it comes to uh, the NFL draft. We're going on to our next pick because we got a bunch of these to get through. So uh, is it Tig Brown that's next? The next pick that comes up? Okay, so where are we going with Tig? So
0: Jair Brown's had a pretty fascinating uh, pre-draft process because I think he has moved up some boards. We've seen his name pop up in some of the source pieces that are out there. And look, I, I will come with the caveat that we all know, or if you don't know, I'm about to clue you in, but there's a lot of leaking that goes on. There's a lot of things that are said as setup up moves during this process. It's only going to get worse over the next couple Subterfuge. of days. Subterfuge. Yes, <laughs> and so you have to keep all that in mind. But yeah. he's a super productive guy. I have to think he's done tremendous in the meetings he's had. Does he have every single, um, you know, perfect testing number you'd want in a safety no probably not but as you've written t frank there's a lot of stuff on tape that i think are going to excite nfl teams. so i have him going in the third round to the las vegas raiders uh you know again when you look at some of the mock drafts that are out there the two teams that have come up most with him are san francisco and the raiders uh, and so to me i think that he could fit the mold of what they do defensively and i think that they would like a guy who can be a little bit of a risk taker in the back can play against the run obviously is good against the pass and so I think that fit makes sense. And look, I mean, we're projecting round three before round one even starts. So, uh, you know, you can kind of only make so many things fit before the trade start and guys get passed over, people fall, things like that. But I like him as a fit in in Las Vegas. And either way, just based on what's out there, it seems like there's some West Coast teams that are interested in him. So if it's not Las Vegas, I still could see him ending up on uh, that side of the country when all is said and done to the start his NFL career.
1: I don't know the Raiders' defensive scheme very well because uh, Patrick Graham, I think, is a first-year coordinator for them, so I don't necessarily know exactly what their scheme is like. To me, the most interesting thing about Tig is that he's got free safety skills. The 10 interceptions, the majority of them came as kind of a deep free safety. Guy reading, reacting, and going to the football. But in the NFL, they like archetypes. You know, they like guys that are a true free safety and a true box safety. Not as many teams run a kind of a blend of the, of the two. So Tig does not have the physical skills, the length, the size, the range, to be a free safety in the NFL in every scheme. I also don't know that he's big enough to play in the box, and that's where everyone projects him because he isn't the other stuff. But I think his physical skills... Uh, be damned. I think he's a free safety. I think if you want him to me, I, I, I look at, uh, and this is how this is going to go, by the way, you're going to give your pick. And then I'm just going to give my analysis of what I think yep. the best fit for these guys is. Uh, he needs to be in a 2 high system somewhere where he can come up and play the run because he does play the run with uh, abandon. He is very much a guy that wants to be good at those things. I think he improved last year, but he wasn't necessarily a standout as a run defender. I think tackling can be an issue for him at times in space I even asked him, we had a conversation about it, like, you know, what's harder, tackling somebody who's a free safety or tackling somebody in underneath coverage when you're the guy one-on-one in the flat? And he said, well, I still got longer to learn about it because it was early in the season, but I'd have to say underneath coverage. And if he's going to be there in the NFL against better athletes, I'm concerned if you're putting him in that position full-time because that's a position for him to fail. I, I don't know that he's a man cover corner as well. Like, you know, so if you're in a... If you're in a traditional cover three at times you're in a lot of man covered situations as an underneath defender. So he's got this kind of unique blend of skills to me that says too high safety. He does everything well, but nothing stands out. So teams that like that, um, I I think the Rams are a good position for him. And, uh, the, the hometown Buffalo bills for me are a good position for him. Teams that are not going to emphasize size and or speed. Uh, teams that want guys that can do a little bit of everything so uh, the Raiders uh, you know with Josh McDaniels uh, or uh, Josh Mc yeah Josh McDaniels I it's a wild card to me a lot of new stuff there so let's move on you have him going in the third round Uh, who's the next pick Yeah,
0: so it's Brenton Strange, and it's not too much later I have him going. So I have him going in round three to Miami Dolphins, and there's not really a whole lot of thought that it needs to go into this one, T. Frank, and and you can talk about the system and why Mike is sick. He didn't fit in it, why Brenton Strange could. Miami had a big presence. You were there at Penn State Pro Day. Miami doesn't also have a tight end. So when you put those two things together, uh, I think that that is the most logical fit for him. Now, don't get me wrong. The Dolphins are not the only team without a tight end, and maybe they have a different plan or a guy they like for how to solve it. But they were well-represented at Penn State Pro Day. And I'm not just saying they came to see Brenton Strange because they lost Mike Kosicki, but I'm hard-pressed to believe they weren't there, at least in part. Because yep. of that, and we've seen him, you know, this is a guy who, you know, if you remember T Frank told us back in December that he was receiving anywhere from round two to round four feedback. And I think a lot of people scoffed at that and said, oh, there's no way. Well, let's, let's be honest. There's a way I, I would be yeah. stunned if this guy gets by round or day two, round two or three. I really yep. would. He is viewed in higher regard. It seems like by pro personnel personnel. GM scouts, things like that, than he is by a lot of Penn State fans who questioned his decision to leave early. And so, you know, eligibility on the table anyway. So, you know, could I be wrong here? Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, again, when you look at the mock drafts around the country, um, plenty of them have him as a day three guy. So it's not out of the question, but someone might jump at his skill set. I think Miami could be that team.
1: Uh, if you want to get a question on the show, BWI mailbag coming up just after this. So drop it in the chat. Something you want to know about, whether it's recruiting, whether it's Penn State football, whether it's the draft. Do you have any thoughts you want on the draft? We'll be taking those all in a little bit. You nailed it. You nailed it. That uh, the whole time which
0: guarantees he's not going to go to Miami,
1: by the way. <laughs> Unless somebody else takes him. So here, let, let me let me be uh, obnoxious about this and I'm going to give you the whole kind of my thought of this. There are two Ch- uh, Shanahan trees. They're, you know, from Mike Shanahan. The uh, What that means is this very specific system. Outside zone, inside zone, play action, West Coast off of that from Washington with Robert Griffin. And for everyone that knows this, I'm sorry for the the kind of replay, but there's the, uh, there's the Kyle Shanahan. And then there is the um, Los Angeles Rams. Oh my gosh. I'm forgetting his name in the middle of my sentence. Uh, La- La- Los Angeles Rams head coach. Um, so they Sean are Sean McVay. Thank you. They are similar, but different. And, Um, The McVeigh system, I think, is a little bit easier to copy and manipulate because it's basically just three receivers uh, under center, play action, outside zone, spread everyone horizontally, and then run with speed. The Shanahan, the pure Shanahan tree coming down through Kyle is much more complex with a lot more motion. It's designed to destroy linebackers in the NFL because they use rpo motion jet sweeps and everything to confuse and and to um destroy your gap responsibility in the run game but what it also does is it creates these play action opportunities this is what brenton strange is made from and if you want to mainline that kyle shanahan stuff you can't get any farther you can't get any closer than mike mcdaniel who is part of the evolution of that run game who is the now the miami head coach they need a Kyle check for this system. That is the fullback tight end that San Francisco has had over the last couple of years. That is the utility player that does it all. He's not the in line George Kittle guy, and that's not what what I don't I don't think Brendan Strange is going to be that guy. He's going to be the person that lines up in the backfield and then suddenly motions out to uh, a, a wide receiver, and you've got a real problem because he actually can run routes or he's going to line up and, and, you know, motion and get into play action and underneath coverage and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Using him in a bunch of different ways to get him open and to get him one-on-one with a linebacker or a safety where he'll run that dude over. That is his job. So when we talk about Penn State fans thinking he needs to come back for blah, 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 his job is not to be Theo Johnson in this offense. His job was to these play-action passes. He's not the guy running up the seam every play. You saw literally Tyler Warren and Theo Johnson were the guys doing that. He was doing all the dirty work nobody noticed the NFL wants him for that because this Shanahan system has proliferated to a bunch of different teams. So if you're, I would say a Kyle Shanahan system, but even the Sean McVay stuff, I think he could fit there as well for a team that wants to evolve and add more play action and F and H back type guys. So I've been saying Miami the whole time because you're right. It's the opposite of Mike Kosicki who is just line him up in the slot and let him go play basketball against the safety. They want more from that position. He provides all of the things they are looking for. Um, I think, the, you know, if he was better at certain areas, catching down the field, his route running in short and intermediate, I think isn't great if there's one area he's a little bit slow in his transitions. So he's not going to be that George Kittle again. But other than that, he's perfect for the system. So now that my rant is over, where are we going next? We're moving on to day
0: three, T. Frank. So I could, again, I think one of the interesting things about this, and I spelled Juice Scruggs' name wrong in our story at BlueWayToStraight.com, so that's now fixed. But uh, one of the interesting things about this draft is, and I wrote it in our story, is that I could see day two being busier than expected for Penn State. I could also very easily see it very quiet. I mean, I feel, like, you know, again, you just laid out why Bretton Strange could be a third-round pick. It is a wide consensus now that Jair Brown will be a day two pick. That's sure it's a guarantee, though. I feel pretty good about both of those. Not I, could sure it's see, a guarantee.
1: I could see Tig dropping because of the physical things. Like if, if teams don't feel like he fits their system, uh, and it, the, the difference is it's not a good safety draft. There is not a deep number of these guys that the NFL is going to want to uh, prioritize over him in this draft. I don't think. I haven't seen yeah. a whole lot of that.
0: So let's move on to day three. And where I'm going with this uh, stray thought is that there are two guys on day three at the start of day three that I have them down for that. I could see one of them sneaking into round two. I've seen seven round mock draft, or, or I'm sorry, day two. Uh, I've seen seven round mock drafts that have them there. Let's start with Parker Washington, though. I have him round four, T Frank, uh, to the New Orleans Saints, and we don't have to go too in depth here with uh, with Parker Washington because we again we're talking about day three picks, a, a day before yeah. the draft even begins. But um, you know what I will say is that. When you look at his skill set, I don't think that he is going to be as impacted by not doing the pre-draft workout stuff that a lot of people seem to think he will be. You know, ultimately, this is a, a player that is shown a lot on tape. And I'm pretty sure he has smart people around him who, uh, you know, wouldn't have advised him to leave if it was going to keep him from being undrafted. Todd McShay talking recently about how some NFL teams might see him even being a running back, potentially, or at least in that kind of hybrid (laughs) running back receiver role. Uh, Whether that's the case or not, we'll have to wait and see, because, you know, obviously he was a returner. He's not uh, he's not unaware of how to handle the ball in his hands and in ways other than being a receiver. But. Yeah, I think when you look at, uh, you know, you look at him. He's a guy that someone might leap at on day two. I think he's probably a day three selection, but I don't think he gets past the fourth round. Uh, you know, so I think the Saints might be a team that fits for him.
1: Yeah, especially with what they have uh, on the offensive ro- roster, Michael Thomas and um, you know the Ohio State receiver from last year as well. Looking for a slot receiver, like a pure slot receiver, I think that's a great fit. Parker, not I, personally, I think for him, it. it prevented him from being a surefire day two pick by not performing this off season. Because, you know, the question about moving him to running back means that his speed is in question. And, yeah. you know, I understand he's 212 pounds and people look at him. I, I've joked that he's he's the closest thing to Saquon Barkley's calves that we've seen at Penn State. I mean, you just look at, look at this photo we have of him here on this graphic. It's like, he's got, he's built like a tank. Um, but I don't think he's been healthy for two years. I don't think he's been fully himself. Uh, and so I think his, his tape is good, but not what you would expect from him as the guy who should have been the next in line to be the lead receiver for the Nittany Lions. So if the tape is good and there's absolutely no information about uh, what he does as, a, as an athlete in these testing situations, some teams are going to remove him from their draft board. And that's where I, I think he slips into, I think fourth is fair. I could even see fifth. Uh, Oh, there's no question all of that missing information and missing the end of the season. Um, I I, he didn't he didn't practice last spring either. So like he hasn't been healthy in a while. And I just I think that has an effect. And if an NFL team is smart um, and can see through all those things and they want to draft him, I think the value is there for him to be a steal because of all of those things.
0: If he can stay healthy. And that's the, the really the yeah. biggest thing is, is he going to stay healthy moving forward? So, yeah, fourth might be a little high for him. Again, when you look at the consensus mocks across the board, there's one guy that has him in the second round. Most people yeah. have him rounds four through five. Uh, so I think you're going to see him on day three in all likelihood. Maybe someone yeah. jumps up, but just with where he's at, I'm not sure I see it. So uh, let's move on to Juice Scruggs T Frank. You know, he's a guy who, you know, came back from a off-field injury Uh, Has really I think had a nice career for Penn State another guy who I think some Penn State fans thought "Ah, he should have stayed another year it would have helped him I'm just not terribly sure it would have Um, I have him round five number 167 overall to the Los Angeles Rams. You know, again, when you start looking at these round fives and trying to find fits, uh, you know, you could pick just about any team out of a hat uh, for the most part and see where things fall out. But, you know, I was looking at the Rams depth chart a little bit and kind of what his versatility could bring to the table. And I thought they make sense in that slot. Um, But, you know, I've seen him anywhere, five, six, seven. I'd be surprised if he goes undrafted. I think he has enough going for him to find a home within the 200, however many picks there are. I think it, was, it used to be 256. Now I feel like it's more. There's a lot of compensatory <laughs> stuff going yeah. on. Plus, we got to subtract the Dolphins' forfeited pick, and, yeah, it gets a little, a little messy. We're just going to go with 200 some. But, yeah, I think he finds a home. Is it round five? Is it round six? We'll have to wait and see. You know, again, one of the most important things to remember on day three, T Frank, is that so much of it comes down to how many picks do you have left? How much do you like a guy and do you feel confident that he and his agent are going to take your offer if you don't draft him in the undrafted free agent pool? So much of what happens on day three comes down to that. So, You know, you might see a guy go early or you might see a guy that you were thinking and we're going to talk about one in a second that you think there was no way on earth he was going to get drafted. And then all of a sudden he goes round six, round seven, one of those compensatory picks or someone has one pick left or two picks in the sixth round and they take a guy and people say, well, just remember, um, you know, while you're looking at it as I can't believe they just took that guy, they might look at it as we think this guy is capable of something. We think we are going to find nothing better in the undrafted free agent pool or the current free agent pool or what have you and so we're going to use a pick on him to make sure he comes to us as opposed to chancing that he finds a better situation elsewhere and it beats our offer or our situation yeah. or what have you yeah. and so i think juice scruggs is one of those guys that is very possibly someone uh, that could fall a little bit if other players in you know in, in teams minds uh, better fit that role or move yeah. up a little bit because of the same reason
1: I think he's a firmly draftable player. He's been one of my secret dark horses with Brenton Strange. Brenton Strange got out, uh, and and I think the whole second round pick. I saw him as a second round pick a, a while ago uh, in one of those mock drafts. That's a little that's a little crazy, I think. But in terms of like guys that are going to be guaranteed starters in this draft class, the, Joey Porter Jr. can be a superstar. The rest of these guys are going to be reliable role players and some of them will become starters and to me Juice Scruggs is the guy that's going to be a reliable starter for some team and is going to play for a very long time maybe you're always trying to replace him because not he's not the complete high level athlete but center is not built on complete high level athletes for the most part like you put those guys elsewhere the center typically has help from one of two maybe three positions in the offense both guards can help the center and the center can help both guards and the running back can help with blitz pickup. So you're not on an island. You are the most insulated as a pass protector. And then in the run game, combo blocking, if you got big guards, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I love that you gave him to another one of those zone teams. I think that's where he is. His quickness, his lateral agility, his ability to reach block, his long arms, and his good frame. All those things are absolutely draftable for a number of different positions. If you're looking for a 320-pound center to, to beat up nose tackles, that, no like no he's going to be a guy that's going to be good i don't think he'll be overpowered in those situations but he's not going to be he's not going to be that guy but not at very few people are looking for that particular thing at center anymore and by the way somebody please in the chat tell me what juice Scruggs was going to gain by coming back to to penn state i love this idea of like he should have come back and it's like because you wanted him to come back like that's not good for him that's good for you there's nothing more to gain for some of these guys going uh back to Penn State. They have a full they are what they are. They are fully developed. So let's speaking of fully developed, let's get to the to the final pick here and I'm just going to play the graphic because I was stunned.
0: Sean Clifford. So, yep. And this goes to my point of guys that might get picked up because you know, I was really surprised not too terribly long ago. I think it was a week or two ago when I read that he is considered a priority free agent in this draft class. And I thought, hmm, really that's going to surprise a lot of people, but I keep hearing it and I keep, you know, learning that they're obviously, and the more visits he goes on and things like that, they're obviously teams that might value having him in camp at the very least or giving him a tryout or what have yeah. you. So I have him yeah. in round seven to Tampa Bay as a possible fit. And look, the the team in the seventh round. If you if I get it right, wonderful. But it was more the emphasis on. I think someone's going to try and grab him late, with the idea being that we want this guy for whatever reason it might be. We think we can get X, Y, or Z out of him, and we're not yeah. chancing losing him to the undrafted free agent pool. So that's why I have him there. I think there's a couple of teams uh, that have shown interest in him and may decide that they just want to say, you know what. Instead of taking some guy, we're probably going to cut and Clifford will probably get cut too, of course. But you know, if you're looking for whatever it might be um, you know, that you think he can bring to your team and you don't think you can get him in the undrafted free agent realm, maybe you take him there late and see what happens. So I think he's going to get picked. I really do. Uh, we'll have to wait and see, but if not, I don't think as many think that no one's going to be uh, lining up for his services at the start of this NFL process, even if it's just to get him in the rookie minicamp.
1: Yeah. So you have opened up my mind here because until today I've done multiple conversations and interviews about the draft and said, like, I don't see him as an NFL quarterback, but if he never has to play, he's an excellent, excellent player on a team, understands football at a deep level can draw it up X's and O's, understands what's supposed to happen, can give you every check. He'll memorize your playbook very quickly. Um, and as long as he never has to execute it, if he's in practice, I think that you're, you're right. That is a very valuable player to have on your roster. Um, as a football player, he has an arm to throw the ball to any part of the field, not off platform, but when, things are, when he's on and he can set his feet and throw and everything's fine and throw in rhythm, yeah. Yes, he can be an NFL quarterback, but the problem is, Greg, it's never that. It's right. never that. Like whether it's not the coverage you were expecting, whether it's you got pressure when you want didn't want it in a place that is not advantageous for you. All of these things, I've described him as as a deli where you only get a certain number of toppings and you have to pick which ones you want each week. Blitz pick up great that week. Throwing under pressure, he can he can do it, but he's not going to. Find his check downs, and he's not going to do X, Y, or Z after that. You get two or three things in the moment from Sean Clifford, so I, I think you're right. As a seventh round pick, as a guy you want to bring on in your roster, developing as a backup emergency quarterback, uh, okay. Look, I I would put his
0: draft odds at probably still 30%, maybe 20%. That might even be high, quite honestly, maybe closer to 10. 10 is probably a better number. But keep in mind, too, that the NFL may be bringing back the old third quarterback role after Mm -hmm. the debacle that the 49ers experienced in Philadelphia um, during the NFL playoffs. And so, you know, again, when you talk about a guy who may never have to play but can do a lot of other things for you off the field – Uh, that's what you're going to be looking for in that third quarterback. So we'll have to wait and see. I mean, again, am I going to sit here and say, yes, I 100% think he's going to get drafted? Of course not. That'd be insane. But uh, do I think there's a chance and maybe a better one than people would give him just off the cuff, especially within the Penn State community? Yeah, I do. So I guess that should probably lead us T. Frank into the guys that we didn't mention, Uh, plus one uh, shout-out for our good buddy Sean Fitz. You don't have a graphic for it, but I think Chris Stoll's going to get drafted. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, The Manly Award winner, long snap. I have him going, I um, believe, to the New Orleans or the Seattle Seahawks. Um, they need a long snapper. So something to watch there. Undrafted free agent guys, P.J. Mustafer and Mitchell Tinsley, uh, two guys that you know I just think are going to end up falling through the cracks in this draft class. P.J., um, because of the injury, I don't think had the season he had hoped to have or wanted to have. I think that's just going to leave him on the outside looking in of the draft class, but we'll see. Again, I, I, I have to stress that. You just don't know. Somebody might have fell in love with him and said, this is the guy we want to take late and not risk losing him. So we'll have to wait and see. But I have him on the outside looking in. And then with Tinsley, I thought he did some nice things for Penn state last year. I just don't know yep. if he has all of the tools necessary. And what is a pretty deep receiver class to find his way onto a team via the draft undrafted free agent. Yeah, no question. Um, beyond that. I'm just not sure.
1: I wonder if he'll be a better pro than he was a college player. Cause it's six feet. He's played on the outside, but he moved into the slot when Parker Washington was injured. His route running, his change of direction skills, uh, I think I he's my dark horse for being. I have so many dark horses in this class, but he's as even if he's a UDFA, I do think he'll have some role for some team. I I compare him a little bit to Jacoby Myers, who was a seventh round pick for the New England Patriots as a guy runs routes, big body, good catch radius, does everything well, but probably just doesn't have the speed you're looking for from a guy that looks like he has a complete game. And I think that there's a spot for him in the NFL. Maybe it wasn't best accentuated in college. Uh, Yeah, I'll say this, Uh, just real
0: quick. Of all the draft stories we will write between now and the weekend to have ready to go if a guy gets drafted, he's the one I think... We need to be most ready to use before the end of the seventh round, even though at least I go into it saying, "Nah, I don't think we're going to have to. But of all the guys, you know, when you look at some of the other Penn State players going into this draft, the Tarbert and uh, Sutherlands, things like that, Barney Amore, you know, obviously, you know, we could have those things ready. Not sure we're going to use them. I think Tinsley will have to have ready, maybe even more so than Clifford and uh, and some others. But. Yeah, we'll see. It should be interesting. Again, when you get to that sixth, seventh round, it's anyone's guess. If, if you all can remember how much fun it was when Penn State went on that little run of having players picked in the seventh round a couple of years ago, uh, anything is possible late in the game.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. That was a, that was a chaotic moment for all of us. we were trying to get stuff. And so it's just like bang, bang, bang. Um, Okay, so we got a couple minutes left on the show, and I'll make sure we get to your questions and comments. A little bit of a sleepy chat today, so if you've got something you want to say, now's the time. We're heading into the BWI Mailbag. No purchase necessary void prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details. Our first question Greg is about offensive line recruiting in 2024. Why wouldn't it be after a crazy week where Penn State got two players and since the blue white game a slew of offensive linemen. So Penn State 2012 says with the latest O-line commitments how do you see the class finishing out? Any added pressure on Satterwhite and Haywood that is uh, William Satterwhite and Kevin Haywood who uh, are Penn State's I think remaining top targets at offensive line. Um, for me, I, I, I think that the, the tackles they took, underrated right now, depending on how they develop their senior year and defend, depending on what information we get on testing times in the intermediary, uh, are going to be guys that rise up. I think both are four-star prospects at tackle. So that's going to help the class. Um, but in terms of pressure on Satterwhite and Haywood, they have options. And clearly they're weighing those options, so I don't think it'll put any more pressure on those guys. Because from what I can tell and what our experts say here on this show, on the Monday show, both those guys are takes no matter what. So there's a spot for them. They'll find a spot. Greg, from what you've been following along with the situation, do you have any differing thoughts on that?
0: No, I would just say that obviously the Monday show with Sean and Ryan or at the Lions Den Forum uh, message board is the best place for that question to be batted around. But no, I mean, I, you know, just reading, uh, reading the guys and the tea leaves and everything else added pressure. I mean, at some point, yeah, you're going to have too many bodies and not enough scholarships to give out. But I think we're a ways yeah. from that point in time.
1: Yeah, and I would say that the pressure already happened. That's why you got Egan Boyer on right after Garrett Sexton, and both guys probably wanted to commit, but that might have been the, what you were looking at in when you were talking about pressure getting guys to commit. Right, and could
0: have been a little bit sure. I mean, obviously, again, I think that one thing that's important to remember is that. It's a domino effect across the country, not just at Penn State. But, you know, when you're looking at these things, you have to remember that there's other schools that are adding guys or possibly not adding guys that may open spots up here or there. And I'm not implying anything in particular with those two guys, just a general thought that there's always more puzzle pieces than what sometimes we realize just being hyper focused on the Penn State uh, side of things.
1: So I will, uh, Xander has been great today, so I will answer this question, but it is one we get regularly. Uh, long way to go in 2024, but is this the top 10 class when it's all said and done? Our experts don't think so. Um, I'm also of the mind of that, although they are in a good position with some of their top defensive targets as well on the defensive line. Getting five-star guys, I'm just quoting Ryan here, getting five-star guys and getting high four-star guys is the key. He, we had this calculus last year. Can you get like 18 four-star guys? Or can you get a couple five-stars and some high four-stars? Right now, Penn State's class is comprised of eight three-star players. So the answer right now is no. Now, as we talked about recently, we're, we're a long way to go in the recruiting process. So there's still updated rankings to go for a while. But I don't, like it right now, uh, if I'm going to shake the magic eight ball, uh, it says looks doubtful is the, is the right. way I'd answer that.
0: Yes. Agreed, T. Frank. I have nothing more to add. I think you hit the nail right on the head. It's just, you know, that question, you're right. It gets asked all the time and it's just a math problem. I mean, go back and look through the last however many years you want, maybe last 10 of top 10 classes and look at what the makeup is and then look at where Penn State's at right now. And just do the math. And can they get there? You know, again, if they get some guys bumped up in the ratings, yes. And uh, of course would require them not having any guys bumped down in the ratings yep. and then they'd have to land some big name guys as well. So tough road to climb, but I, I don't know if it's any more as much of a focus as maybe it used to be to have a top 10 class. I mean, you need to, look, right. you want to be as high as you possibly can be. Right. But uh, more than anything else with the portal, you have ways to address issues that In the past, you felt like you could only solve with a top 10 or a top 5 or a top 8 class. So I think that's important to keep in mind as well.
1: Yeah, and we're going to go right to the the second part of this question, which comes from the Lions Den message form. Great way to subscribe, com. You can get on the message form, and we will take your questions that way. Almost a guarantee, not a guarantee, but a, a strong likelihood they'll get on the show that way. Jason in the message form says, uh, are we loading up on three star recruits because our staff is really good at finding diamonds in the rough before the rest of the college world recognizes their talent or is Penn state getting shut out of recruits because of NIL or something else combining of those factors, Greg, I will go first cause I've got some thoughts about this particular class that I'll get it? to in a second. Okay. All right. So let me go through the class and I'll tell you guys that I think are underrated right now in the recruiting process. Luke Reynolds is six, four and runs a four, six. Uh, Antoine Belgrave Shorter is maybe not as fast as John Mitchell, but has uh, exceptional positional skills. I already mentioned Egan Boyer, I think, is a four-star tackle that needs to develop you know, physically get bigger. We need to get some testing times on him. Um, uh, Caleb Brewer is a wild card. I think he's fine as a three-star big athlete, but we just don't know what he is, so that's hard for people to really characterize or categorize him when ranking. Garrett Sexton, same thing. I think he's a four-star player. These are all guys that are ranked as three stars. They have a significant number this year of guys that I think are under the radar. That is not always the case. And there are guys on this uh, roster that I think are properly rated as three stars. So this group in particular, I do think there is some underrated to uh, underratedness of this group. Um, also, all of the four-star guys, or a lot of the four-star guys, and high five, five stars, all those guys, Greg, when did they make their decisions?
0: Yeah, they wait, right? They wait <laughs> yeah, until they... It, it, well, you know what? They I mean, some of them still do wait until December, and uh, in the very rare case, February. Um, yeah. but some of them still wait till December. But you see more and more of those guys popping in July too. That the busy time of year during official now, visits. But- Right, yep. so like you're they talking, wait to take their
1: official visits.
0: Right, so yeah, that's what you were getting at as well. So yeah, you're looking July, December. So yeah, you got some things to figure out there too. And, and you know, I think when you look at these three star guys, they're you know, but if you go to the industry uh, consensus page at, at On Three, if you go to BlueIllustrated.com, take the recruiting tab and then go to uh, commitments, uh, you can see the rankings across the board. And there are some guys that. The on three consensus considers three stars that maybe on three considers three stars that other sites consider four stars. And so that could change on other sites down the road, which would change their ranking. So it's April. I know it's a time of year when everybody wants to get excited and everybody wants to, um, you know, see where Penn State is at and how far can they get? and Will they stay in the top 10? Will they go above, above, whatever, but um, let's get these spring evaluations done and then the rankings reset this summer. And that's going to give us a much better idea of where things stand.
1: Yeah, here's what Greg was talking about. This is the, basically the URL he was describing out loud is where you can see comparisons of where these guys stand. Cooper Cousins, four-star across the board, but you got some guys down the list... There might be some disagreement on where they land, there might be some agreement that I I disagree with personally, but you can check this out bluewhiteillustrated.com to see where the composite ranking comes from and where each individual uh, ranking system is. Like for example, Garrett Sexton, ESPN does not have him ranked whatsoever. They don't have him they don't have anything for him. As same with Caleb Brewer and Egan Boyer. So it is early in the process. It doesn't feel like it, but it is early in the process. And Penn State to have 12 commitments right now is, is really good, actually, in comparison to, like, you know, the overall size of the class. Almost halfway there. Like, I know this is going to be a big class according to our guys, but still, having 12 already is a pretty good place to be. Okay, two more questions here. Um, we're going to end with a draft question, but I got to get to this one because hectic... 24 he's a guy that has been a big contributor to the live show recently want him to get his question heard is the offense really that far behind according in referred to the blue white game was the ho-hum play calling on the blue white game by design Um, and was this to avoid showcasing TV any breakout performances due to fear that players will get poached by other schools through NIL and the transfer portal um, I, I labeled this one conspiracy theory when I uploaded it, um, because I think that there's a little going a little too deep here, in my opinion. But, Greg, is there validity to what he's asking?
0: Yeah, you know, I think it's a little bit of both. I think that, you know, I, we try to read way too much into these spring games and and what we see and what we don't see and why. And, oh, well, it was vanilla because it's on TV. And, and it's that. I, I just it's a spring game. The rosters were kind of broken up more fairly this year, but not really. Penn state was going against a lot of its first and second team defense, which as we know is going to be one of the better ones in the country. Uh, And Penn state has issues at receiver. So, and they couldn't run the ball. So, I mean, when you put all those things together, uh, it was not a good showing. There's no question. Am I? Yeah panicking and do I think fans should panic of course not um but do I think that you know there was obviously some things that people thought might look a little bit different against that first team defense yeah of course but I thought Drew Aller had a nice day they'll get this stuff figured out at receiver I I won't get too worked up over what that performance might mean for the future and I would also say this that in terms of putting things on TV that might you know if someone's going to go into the portal they're going to go into the portal I'm just not I, 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 you know, this goes back to the whole NIL thing and, and we could spend a lot more time than we have talking about this. But now uh, I get the question, but I don't I won't read as much into it as I think the question is for sure. But reach out to me on the board if you want to talk about it more. We certainly can. And I'm sure T. Frank, will jump in as well.
1: Yeah. I, so he's he's right on that. They don't want to put things on film on television, but they don't want to put their scheme on television. That's the the main thing is like. We see vanilla stuff so that West Virginia, Ohio State, Illinois don't see what they're preparing for next year. And the offense, here's the thing, is the offense might not be as far along in preparing that stuff. They're installing the base offense. So what you saw is the base offense, what they put on film for several years now. Like, they want to run these particular schemes. That's no secret. So that stuff is what we're going to see. Um, the defense, and this is the this is the part that's crazy, Greg. And this is something I was thinking about the other day. Manny Diaz's defense, his base defense, includes blitzing seven in a spring game all the time. Right. That's how crazy his defense is. So, like, that's not a surprise that they were able to do more things because there are more. There's more. There's more bananas plays on the defensive side. They're returning more players. Um, but secondarily and this is really the reason is uh, the defensive ends couldn't be blocked. Like the d- the offense had a bad day because the defense got pressure on almost every single play. Yeah. Let's not forget
0: play. that, uh, that potential first round top 10, top five uh, left tackle. He didn't play in the blue light play. game. So let's not forget about that small fact when talking about the offensive line as well. Yeah. And the so offense like, production as a whole, right?
1: There, there, there's a couple of reasons why, and I don't think it is to keep guys out of the transfer portal. Cause as you said, those guys are going to transfer if they're going to transfer. And I don't think that the guys being poached in the portal are actually from good spring game practices. I think it's the totality of th- like storm duck didn't transfer because he was on the white team storm duck transferred because he landed on the white team. And he thought like, I'm the fourth corner here, not going to play final question today. Cause we're, we're, we're past our end time, but I do want to get to this cause it wraps up with the thought we should get to any final Penn state NFL draft predictions before we get out, Greg.
0: No I think we kind of covered them all The the one that I glossed over but I do think we Could hear Chris Stoll's name called so Mm -hmm. That's kind of my out on the limb prediction But other than that no I mean I think that Like every other year we go into this process Expecting one thing and we're very likely To see another but ultimately If Joey Porter Jr. is picked in the first Round as Penn State fans And Penn State and many NFL draft Analysts expect uh, ending that uh, Long drought Penn State has had with no First round defensive backs it will just be Another feather in the cap of Terry Smith and Anthony Poindexter when they go out in the road recruit uh, and obviously they're going to hopefully in their mind uh, put someone another guy there in Kalen King next year and maybe uh, continue the tradition of getting guys drafted so when you look at the history of this program as deep and steep as it is uh, there's not a whole lot when it comes to guys from the secondary and specifically corner going into the NFL so Watch that moving forward. Obviously, other programs are selling that, too, and they had a much greater clip, but everyone got to start somewhere. And for Penn State, this will be that somewhere as uh, they continue to try and build the class of 2024 and beyond.
1: Yeah, um, my prediction is not about this draft. It's about what happens after this draft, what you just said. Everybody from James Franklin to um, Chuck Losey, this offseason been like, well, Penn State's not developing athletes the same way they were before. Like, that's the strength program. And it's like... Or it's the recruiting, and and this is again no disrespect to this guy, to the guys in this draft. I think that there's a lot of them that will play in the NFL and have starting jobs. That is not easy to do. That takes a very good football player. But when we're talking about special players, Penn State's going to have three first round draft picks next year. Like they're going to have, they're going to have Olu, they're going to have Kalen King and Chop Robinson. Those three guys are going in the first round. It'll be by injury or some freak situation where those three guys don't have great seasons next year. So you're going to feel very differently about where Penn State is in the overall ecosphere and the NFL draft come next offseason when we're sitting here talking about the draft and previewing it. That is my prediction for next year, is that this lull that Penn State's been through in the draft is coming to an end because their recruiting and their talent acquisition has improved after the COVID-19 pandemic and all the stuff they learned from there. So that's it for me, Greg. Thank you so much for the show today. I had a ton of fun. I think this is a great show. So appreciate you being on.
0: Always a good time, T Frank. Have a great rest of the week, everyone, and enjoy the draft.
1: We'll be covering the draft, blueweightillustrated.com. I'll have some stuff here on YouTube, and of course, Greg will be writing stuff up. We're developing our plan for the weekend, so check out our information there. We'll have videos, cut-ups, things like that to get you excited about where Penn State and their players are landing over the next three days starting on Thursday. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. He's Greg Pickle. We'll talk to you next time. plus.